0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Horizon. It is good to see you here in the chapel. Uh, welcome if you're out in the tent or watching us online. And today's an exciting day around Horizon, okay? If you saw some balloons and things around in the atrium, it is Move Up Sunday. So for our children and students, they're going to move up into the uh, grade they'll be in in the fall. So it's kind of a day of excitement around here. Um, and we're just glad you're here to join us. Um, And we're going to continue our journey through our series, The Most Dangerous Game, where we have uh, made our way to Ship Trap Island, right? And we've been looking at how sometimes life can feel like it's kind of out to get us, that it's kind of hunting us down, that there's traps to avoid. And um, today we're going to look at this topic of unforgiveness and really try to answer the question that Neil just sang about, like, is there ever a moment where it's too late to apologize? Uh, But before we do that, let's head back and we'll catch up with General Zeroff and Singer Rainsford.
1: The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell. Part 3. In our first two installments of The Most Dangerous Game, big game hunter Sanger Rainsford, on a yacht bound for Brazil, fell overboard and swam to a jungle island. There he discovered the hidden estate of General Zaroff, also an accomplished hunter. Zaroff's mansion is guarded by a gigantic manservant named Ivan and the home is decorated with taxidermied trophies from
0: General's many shooting expeditions. Over dinner, Rainsford learns that Zaroff has grown weary of merely hunting exotic animals and has turned his attention
1: to a new type of prey. I have invented a new target. No other compares to it. Now when I hunt, I have a quarry who possesses the one thing that all others lacked, reason. This must be a grotesque joke. Zaroth, if you mean human, you can't be serious. I am merely speaking of hunting. Hunting? You speak of murder. <laughs> I'm surprised a civilized man like you harbors romantic ideas about humanity. Surely your experiences in the war- Did not would- make me condone cold-blooded murder. You must have Puritan ancestors. Ugh. Oh well, I'll wager you'll forget your notions when you go hunting with me. It's a thrill like no other. No thank you, General. I'm a hunter, not a murderer. Oh, again with the unpleasant word. I can show you that your scruples are unwarranted. Life is for the strong, to be lived by the strong, and if necessary, taken by the strong. I hunt the scum of the earth, mongrels, pirates, thieves, losers. But they are human. Precisely, which makes them dangerous and thus the game. But where do you get such game? This island is called Ship Trap for a reason. Look there, Rainsford, that flashing light. A ship's captain sees the indicator and believes it's an open channel. In reality, there is none giant rocks with razor edges. When I flip the light switch, I can crush the ship as easily as I can crack an egg. You call yourself civilized. Oh, how righteous you are, Rainsford. I treat my visitors with every accommodation, good food and exercise. I want my prey at the top of their game for my game. I have a dozen in my training school even as we speak. Your training school? Yes. I want them in peak condition to compete. The game has rules. I choose an opponent, give him supplies and a hunting knife. He gets a three hour head start. I am to follow armed with a small caliber pistol. If my quarry eludes me for three days, he wins and is released. If I find him, he loses. Suppose he refuses to be hunted. Well, he has the option to spar with Ivan. Unfortunately, the rules of that game aren't quite as sporting. Invariably, they choose the hunt. And if they win? Well, not to boast, but I haven't lost. One challenger almost did. I eventually had to use the dogs. The dogs? Yes, my pets, Dobermans. Lovable, really, but highly trained. They patrol the grounds at night. If anyone should try to get into my house, or out of it, something regrettable would happen. And now, Mr. Rainsford, would you join me in a brandy? Uh, General, I'll pass. I'm feeling the effects of my swim. Oh, indeed. My apologies, dear boy. You need a good night's sleep. Yvonne has prepared a guest room. Tomorrow you'll feel like a new man, and together we'll hunt. The bed was good, the pajamas of the softest silk, the lodgings of luxury
0: standard, but in effect, a luxury jail cell. The exit door was locked, his room secured in a high tower. From the windows, he could see the shadows of the expectant guard dogs. His mind was restless, anxious. Rainsford eventually willed himself to sleep, and as morning came, he heard, far off in the jungle, the faint report of a gunshot. Man, that was awesome, this thing is heavier than it looks, holy cow, Um, I even heard cowbell in there, that was amazing, Um, I bet when you woke up this morning you never thought you would come to church and uh, hear the devil went down to Georgia, did you? (laughs) Um, Well again, welcome to Horizon and uh, that song kind of conveys this attitude of this series. Um, that sometimes, in the same way that the, the devil went down to Georgia to hunt Johnny, um, that sometimes life can feel like it's it's kind of hunting us, um, and, and there's traps to avoid and snares to get untangled from. And, and today we're going to look at this topic of forgiveness, and and yeah, it could be uh, another snare in the form of unforgiveness that we could step into in the form of like quicksand, you know, on our own ship trap islands. Um, but what I'm going to argue is that, that actually forgiveness is amazingly powerful. Okay, forgiveness, my friends, has the power to change your relationships. Has the power to change your future even. Like did you know that after a huge blow-up fight um, with, with your spouse, let's say, that if you, if you engage in this language of forgiveness the right way, that your marriage can be better? Like, who would imagine in the middle of an argument that, like, hey, in a day or so, we could be in a better place if we handle this correctly? Um, But it is, it's sort of complicated, this language of forgiveness. Think of these two words and how differently um, they can be received. I'm sorry. Or, I'm sorry. Right, like one conveys like, I'm sorry, and one conveys you're an idiot, right? Like two vastly different meanings from the same phrases. It's kind of a complicated language. Um, And languages are complicated anyhow. I mean, I remember trying to learn Spanish in high school, and today my Spanish is no, no bueno, right? Like it's no good. It's complicated. And English, I mean, imagine trying to learn English. Okay, let's throw these up here. These five words all end with the same four letters, and none of them rhyme. Right? Like, imagine coming to America and trying to learn English. It's like, here you go. (laughs) That's hard. But then these two words that virtually have none of the same letters, they do rhyme. Right? Baloney and Tony. Like, that's just crazy. And this language of forgiveness we're going to find is just as complicated. It's hard to nail down. And today what I hope to do is give you three phrases in this language of forgiveness that can help you rise above the possibility of the quicksand of unforgiveness, okay? Just three simple phrases um, that can help us in our most important relationships, okay? And the first one is this. It's two healing words and it is the phrase, I'm sorry, right? Uh, and we've all been there, right? Like have you ever gotten just a horrible apology, you know, where like the person's talking and the right words are coming out of their mouths. But like their body language and tone, like just don't quite match up and you're, you're just not buying it. Uh, in our house, we see this a lot with our kids. Um, so for us, it goes like this. Like Jackson, our 11-year-old, has kicked his sister, our 13-year-old. And I say, hey, Jack, you need to go to your room, right? And here's a classic parent line. You need to think about what you've done. Right? And you can't come out until you apologize to your sister. You know, and Jack's smart enough that he stomps up to his room. You know, we hear the door slam, maybe not so gently. Um, And he stays in long enough to think about it. But then he comes out and we hear the apology. And I mean, let me tell you, it just warms my heart as a parent. I mean, it's, I mean, he walks across and I hear him knock on our door. And he says, hey, Sid, (laughs) uh, I'm sorry that your knee ran into my foot four times right? And you're a jerk. Ah, right? Like as a dad, it's just like my kids love each other so much. It's just heartwarming, right? Or maybe it's at work and you've called somebody out for not fulfilling their end of a deal. And you get back this apology email and it is the most vanilla apology like you've ever received, right? You're like, did they just Google apology and cut and paste? Because it's just not lining up. Right, and you read through it, and you're like, well, technically they're apologizing, in the same way that like technically I'm undefeated at Wimbledon, right? I've never played there, so technically I'm undefeated. So this is sort of technically an apology. Um, well, well, sometimes it's it's easy when we know an apology is due, right? Everybody knows it in the room. Let's say maybe it's on a team project at work, and everybody's waiting for it. You know, and you're looking at your coworker, and you're like, Tom. Just apologize, you know, and you're like tapping your feet. And eventually you want to go over to Tom and like a baby, put him on your knee and you're like, let's just burp it out, Tom. You know, I'm sorry, let's get it out there. You know, and you're like, this is so pathetic. ah, Tom, so pathetic. He doesn't know how to apologize. Um, Until I remember that that is me nine out of ten times, right? Like I stink at apologizing. Like I bump into your Kroger's, I'm apologizing right away. I forget to attach a document on my email, I'm apologizing right away. Um, But if I actually do something wrong, (laughs) uh, apologies are a little slower in the coming, right? I got to have this internal pep talk with myself where I'm like, Ryan, it's only two words, man. I mean, three if you count the conjunction, but, you know, it's only two words, just get them out. I'm like, I'm, you know, and uh, and then I freeze up and I'm like, come on, man, you can do this. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, and it just kind of pops out and I'm like, okay, I got it out of there. (laughs) Um, Have you you ever thought why it's so hard to say you're sorry to the most important people in your life? Right? Like certainly there's pride where it's like, I'm not going to apologize to them. Right? I'm only like 52% wrong in this situation. (laughs) They don't need an apology. Or maybe it's denial, you know, where you're like, well, I was playing with matches, but in my defense, your lawn was really dry. It was just asking to be set on fire. Um, those are kind of the two low-hanging fruits of uh, why I struggle to apologize. But deeper than that, when I dig a little deeper, I find it's really one word. Okay, it's vulnerability, that when we apologize, it makes us feel vulnerable and, and We don't like that. I think of a quote from a doctor at George Washington University, Renee Garfinkel, and I just want you to hear it and kind of feel it, okay? She describes apologizing very well. She says, apologizing temporarily reduces one's self-esteem. Sounds lovely. The offender who apologizes yields some power, some control, having announced their imperfection and error, the offender is now vulnerable. Can't wait to do that later. It takes humility to make a sincere apology. And for some people, humility is just too uncomfortably close to humiliation. So thank you, Dr. Garfinkel. I had never considered the terrifying idea that humility and humiliation come from the same word tree, right? Like that is terrifying. Why would I ever apologize if it could lead to me being humiliated? That's our worst fear, right? We don't want to be humiliated. No thanks. Well, well, here's why. That, That if we want strong and healthy marriages, If we want strong and healthy relationships with our kids and our family, the cost of it is vulnerability. In fact, that's just the price of admission. (laughs) That just gets you in the door to the relationship is vulnerability. And then vulnerability grows into intimacy and intimacy grows into love. And man, don't we all want like loving marriages and loving relationships with our kids? Even in our work environments, I don't know if we call it love, but we want supporting teams where we feel like we're there for one another. Um, All of that's only possible through vulnerability. It's interesting as the church was starting to grow um, several thousand years ago, 200 years after the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus, um, they're starting to organize, you know, and spoiler alert, they didn't get along, (laughs) Right, there's all kinds of arguing and disagreements going on and fighting um, because people are jerks. I mean, let's be honest, myself included. Um, And one of the early leaders, a guy named Paul, is going to start sending them some advice, okay, to help them navigate these relational waters. And he's going to send them these words. And maybe you've heard this at a wedding. He's going to try to explain to them what a real vulnerable, intimate, and loving relationship should look like. He's going to say, love love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes in all things. Endures all things. Love never fails I mean that is a high bar for love isn't it like like if you had a pastor read that at your marriage you didn't know what you're signing up for <laughs> that's a lot I feel like taking a nap after just reading that like that's a whole lot to sign up for it's kind of intimidating I'm like I can't love somebody like that that's a lot it's a lot of words um but man don't we want to be loved that way right like don't we want people to love us that way and when we see it, it is awe-inspiring. Like when somebody hits that gold standard of what the Bible calls love, it, it's awe-inspiring. It's awesome. 25 years ago, Minneapolis, Minnesota, there's a 16-year-old boy named O'Shea Israel. Okay, and he's already, unfortunately, kind of living a life on the streets. Okay, and O'Shea finds himself wrapped up in the, uh, the drug and gang wars that are going on in the city. And one night as, again, a young teenage boy, he finds himself at a party. And O'Shea's life has had to just be this life of a hardened criminal already at the age of 16. So he shows no vulnerability. He shows no weakness, no softness, no tenderness. Um, He is as hard as a diamond. And at this party, a a rival gang shows up. And, And in a sign of bravado and strength, O'Shea shoots and kills a boy about his own age. Within a matter of hours, O'Shea's arrested. Within a matter of months, he's going to be charged as an adult and sentenced to 25 years to life in the Minnesota State Penitentiary. 16 years old. Um, 10 years into this sentence, O'Shea has never showed regret. He's never showed remorse. He's never apologized, taken any um, responsibility for his actions. And in prison, he's just living this life with no vulnerability, no intimacy, and no loving relationships at the same time there's a mom right there's a mom Mary Johnson who lost her son that same night and for 10 years Mary has been walking a different form of suffering right she's had her own parallel journey where she's trying to move on with her life in however she can after the loss of her son but she's just struggling right like any parent we could see that 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 would be incredibly hard And she's a woman of faith, and she she wants to forgive O'Shea, but she's like, he's not even sorry. He doesn't even care that he killed my son. Like, how can I forgive him? And she finds herself, like, weeding into the quicksand of unforgiveness. And she's just getting more and more bitter, more and more angry, more and more depressed. But she's going to do something. Last ditch effort before she goes all the way under, she's going to go visit O'Shea Israel in prison. Okay, and and here's what she says about that. She says, Never having been to prison before, I was so scared when we got there and I wanted to turn back. But when O'Shea came into the room, I shook hands with him and I said, I don't know you and you don't know me. You didn't know my son and he didn't know you. So we need to lay down a foundation and get to know one another. We talked for two hours. During which he admitted what he had done. I could see how sorry he was. And at the end of the meeting, for the very first time, I was genuinely able to say that I forgave O'Shea. And and friends, she meant it. For the next seven years of his incarceration, she would continue visiting him weekly. Um, They would establish this amazingly unlikely friendship. At the end of the seven years, again, way into his incarceration, he's released, and he's released to a welcome home party in her house. (laughs) Like how amazing, right? And we look at that kind of forgiveness, and it matches up with what Paul said about love, right? That high bar, that gold standard, and we're like, oh my goodness, like when you see that, it's awe-inspiring. You write, you want to write books about it and movies, because it's just so amazing. And that's true. But as we think about these two healing words of I'm sorry, think of O'Shea. So O'Shea, 10 years into his sentence, has a moment where he chooses to open up to become vulnerable in the middle of a prison. And he shares these two healing words that he meant with Mary of I'm sorry. And friends, here's what I want you to think about is that the two healing words, I'm sorry, they are like neosporin, for the soul of someone that you've hurt, right? Small hurt, big hurt, anywhere in between. That Neosporin doesn't do anything with, to replace the wound, right? You can't go back and undo the cut on your leg or whatever. Um, but Neosporin certainly offers comfort and, and it certainly offers healing, right? That him being vulnerable is neosporin for the soul of Mary Johnson, that she needed to climb out of that pit of quicksand of unforgiveness and move on with her life in a healthy way. And I wonder what we do with that, right? That story. Because I'm guessing most of us don't need to apologize for killing anyone. Um, though this side of the room's looking a little suspicious over there. Um, but the, the words have the same power in our lives okay what if a uh, authentic i'm sorry could be the neosporin your marriage needs for a new chapter what if an authentic i'm sorry could be the comfort needed to help to bridge the gap in a relationship with one of your kids what if an authentic i'm sorry could be the healing needed to help you restore a broken relationship with an adult brother or sister. Right? They're powerful words. They're healing words. So that's our first phrase. Our second phrase is three risky words. And they are I forgive you. Okay? And if the master's degree of relational intelligence is the ability to say and mean I'm sorry, then the doctorate degree is this three-word phrase to be able to say and mean, I forgive you. Because it is just hard, right? Like it's hard to offer forgiveness. And sometimes it's because the apology was so bad, it had so many clauses in it and buts and excuses that you're like, hey, accepting that apology would be like signing a prenup with the devil, right? Like I'm not doing that. That's not not happening. Um, but other times I'll get a perfectly good apology and I'm going to be tempted to say things like, Don't worry about it, it's not a big deal. Where inside I'm like, it is still a big deal. And I still burn with the anger of a thousand suns, thank you. Um, You know, and I just can't offer the forgiveness so easily. And when I dig below and I try to think about why that is, more than just, again, me being a jerk, (laughs) um, I come to that one word of forgiveness is risky. Right? It's a risk. Like there's this feeling with forgiveness, I forgive you, that it is a unwritten contract, it's a gentleman or lady's agreement saying, hey, you're going to stop doing that thing, right? <laughs> like, like that way you wounded me isn't going to become like par for the course, you're going to change. That, that really forgiveness is kind of speculation. It's kind of like playing the stock market where you're, you're taking your emotional capital and you're putting it on the stock of that person hoping that they turn a profit. Right? You're like, I'm going to invest in you and I'm going to forgive you hoping that on the other side you're going to be productive and, and show growth. And that's a scary thing, right? Stocks don't always go up. Right? If, if you have Robin Hood, you know that. <laughs> um, stocks go down sometimes. And in life that can be scary. Some of us live by the mantra of like, hey, fool me once and wound me once, shame on you. But fool me twice and wound me twice, well then shame on me. That's really my fault, you know. And it can be easy to think, well, then why would I risk forgiving somebody if they could just hurt me more? Like, why not just not do that? <laughs> well, because the, the price tag for good and healthy relationships is vulnerability. It's going to cost that. C.S. Lewis, a, a Christian thinker and author, um, has a great quote on this that, again, I want you to, to listen to. Says to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe dark motionless it will change it will not be broken it will become unbreakable impenetrable irredeemable to love is to be vulnerable so what let cs lewis is saying is hey if you want to live a, a life where you don't ever get a broken heart then just lock that thing up <laughs> it'll never be broken but it's going to become like a diamond it's never going to be able to be moved You're never going to feel beauty. You're never going to feel passion, excitement, joy, life. So you can do that. But friends, if we want vibrant and healthy marriages, then we've got to be vulnerable enough to say the three risky words, a whole lot of I forgive you. If we want vibrant and healthy friendships, we need to be vulnerable enough to to say those three risky words. Forgive you. As the church was continuing to grow, Paul, again, this leader of the church, um, he's continuing to try to help them, you know, in their squabbles. Because they just keep fighting because forgiveness is complicated. (laughs) And he's going to give them a little more advice to chew on here, to think about. Um, He's going to say this. He's going to say, hey, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, all of the pain that you, you feel when you get hurt or wounded or betrayed, um, like it, it's not your fault. It's there. It's real. But like if you hold on to that, it, it's going to become like a bowling ball of pain. And you're going to keep carrying that with you. And if you've ever carried something heavier, it just feels heavier the longer you carry it. Right? And he's like, you're gonna keep carrying that bowling ball of pain, and eventually you're gonna walk into the quicksand of unforgiveness and you're just gonna start sinking. Right? He's like, I don't want that for you. Okay, instead, I want you to be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. Have you ever considered this thought that forgiveness is a kindness? You ever thought about that? That that out of kindness, you know that there are hungry people in our city. So you take a blue bag from the atrium and you fill it with food. And out of kindness, you bring it back because you want to be kind to people that are hungry and have needs. And out of kindness, you know that in Cincinnati, there are people that don't have homes and don't have hot meals. So you give of your time and sometimes your money and you go to City Gospel Mission and you... Out of kindness, give to try to help somebody who needs. Well, forgiveness is the same. That there are people in your lives that need forgiveness. And out of kindness, you can give that to them. And it doesn't mean, right, there's some relationships that, like, forgiveness might be given, but reconciliation is never possible because it was abusive, it was toxic, and that is okay. They might even be dead, right? Uh, But you can give yourself the kindness of forgiving them and putting down that bowling ball of pain should you choose. And I think of Mary Johnson. Okay, so let's go back to the mom and my story. Um, Imagine Mary Johnson. Okay, she goes, she visits O'Shea, and they have this magical two hours together where they're, they're crying, they're hugging. There was more to the quote. It was a powerful moment. Okay, and then, you know, she makes the risky decision to say, O'Shea, I forgive you. You just think about that. You killed my son. I'm hugging you. I forgive you. Um, How risky that is. Imagine if O'Shea goes back to his cell. He never meets with her again. And he just continues to hurt people. Like that's crushing for her. Right? Or imagine she meets with him for seven years every week. (laughs) He gets released into her living room. He walks in. All of her family is thinking, Mary, what are you doing? Mary, this is crazy. You know, and they have this moment, and then O'Shea goes back to a life of crime where he keeps selling drugs and he goes back to gangs. Like, oh my goodness, right? Like her life would just be decimated. How do you come back from that? But somehow Mary Johnson chooses to take all that she had left of her emotional capital, which probably wasn't much at that point, and she puts it onto O'Shea Israel's life, his stock. And she says, man, I am praying that this shows a prophet. Like, I just want this to grow in his life. And man, does it, right? Like, it's crazy. He's released from prison. He moves into her building. (laughs) They live on the same floor. He walks past her door every day on his way to work. And they started a nonprofit where they go around speaking to people in jails and prisons and community centers. He calls her mom mom. And she calls him "Son." <laughs> like, how mind-blowing is that? That is incredible that that kind of forgiveness can have that kind of payoff in his life. My favorite quote from their, their story is this: It says, "I have learned that if you hold on to pain, it grows and grows, but if you forgive, you start to starve that pain and it dies." Forgiveness is pretty much saying, I give up holding on to that pain. See, Mary Johnson is saying, hey, if I keep holding the bowling ball of pain and I keep feeding it, I keep reliving it, I won't let go of it, that it's just going to keep growing and getting heavier and heavier. But, but if, I, if I let go of that, then that pain begins to starve and it begins to atrophy and it begins to shrink. And in its place, joy can flow in, happiness can flow in. And my question for us is: Are you carrying around a bowling ball of pain right now? Right? Or have you been hurt? Are you carrying around this bowling ball that is painful? It's, it's toxic. You want to drop it, and maybe today is the day. Maybe it's today's the day you just let that sucker roll away. You, know, you just give it a little kick as it goes by. <laughs> uh, the person that you need to be alive, they don't need to be here. But maybe today's the day where you put down that bowling ball of pain. Well, that brings us to our last phrase of the day, okay, our third phrase. And it's four unbelievable words. And it is this, come as you are. All right, when we learn language, I don't know if you know this, as an infant, our native tongue, or as an adult, a second language, there's really kind of three phrases, okay. There's the receptive phrase, phase where you kind of can hear what's going on around you, um, but you, you can't really um, speak into that very much. See what the other one's called. I'm losing it. There's the expressive phase where you can speak and people can understand you. But you're not quite fluent. You know, you can just kind of like order food and those kind of things. But then the final phase, the phase that shows that you um, are fluent in that language is the pragmatic stage. And at the pragmatic stage, you get the whole enchilada of the language, if you will. So you understand why you pause, where you pause, why you talk loud, when you talk loud at certain points, or why you whisper when you talk to a child. You know you understand tone and, and all of it. Innuendo, it's the whole picture. And with this language of forgiveness, I would say that the first phase, the receptive phase, is that master's degree of relational intelligence, the, the ability to say, "I'm sorry." And mean it. And then the second phase, that expressive phase, would be the doctorate degree of relational intelligence, being able to say, I forgive you and mean it. Well, then, what would the pragmatic stage be of this this language of forgiveness? Well, to unpack that, I want to go back to Paul's advice. To his friends. Okay, so he's, he's, again, he said, hey, let's take all the bitterness, the ugliness, the malice, let's put that away. Um, instead, let's be kind, let's forgive each other. And then he's going to end with these interesting seven words. He's going to say, even as God in Christ forgave you. So he's saying, hey, model your forgiveness off the way that God in Christ forgave you. I'm a question asker. So if Paul was here, I would say, well, hey, Paul, what does that mean? Like how did God in Christ forgive me? And what might that have to do with the way I forgive people? Um, well, well, here's what I would say it means. It, it means that if you think about like Easter, if you've heard any of the message of like an Easter, you know, vibe, then you maybe have heard that, like Jesus came and he, he lived a perfect life. He uh, died on our behalf to pay really for, like, our mistakes. He said, hey, I'm going to pay the price for mistakes you've made in your life. Um, that that's kind of the message of forgiveness. That's how God in Christ forgave us. And that forgiveness was amazingly costly, right? It wasn't cheap. It cost Jesus. Like, it was an expensive forgiveness. Um, but here's what I want you to hear. That it is a simple forgiveness forgiveness that in our relationships our interpersonal squabbles forgiveness is amazingly complex right hopefully I've made that somewhat clear today it's complicated but with God forgiveness is really simple okay that when we say hey God like I I I confess that I've been like the the mini God of my life, that I'm little King Ryan and life sometimes I just wanted to revolve around me and serve me. And sometimes that hurts other people. And it definitely has changed my life. And, and really I want to just kind of make you the guide of my life. And I want to follow you and have you help me make decisions and speak into my relationships. Um, would you forgive me that God immediately says yes. Right? There's no song and dance that you have to do you know to like prove that's my river dance to prove that like you're sorry there's no dog and pony show you need to put on for God to know that you're sorry um a few books later in the Bible it says this as simple as it can be said it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and again sins is just a big churchy word for mistakes (laughs) and I make a lot of them um Forgiveness is simple, but it is unbelievable to, to consider when you think about it. 20 years ago, I'm at a, a camp and I'm with 15 high school guys. Okay. And it's been a fun week. And during that week, we've heard this simple message of God's love and forgiveness for us. Okay. And that, that's kind of heavy talk to be having with 17, 18-year-old dudes. But we're, we're sitting around at the end of the night and I turned to Gary, who was a big Athens high school football player. And I'm like, hey, Gary, what do you think about this simple plan of God's love and forgiveness for your life, you know? And he says, well, you know, I want it, but first I got to get right with God, you know? And he looked kind of proud of himself because that was like a deep, (laughs) deep thought. Um, So I said, well, Gary, help me understand that. Like, how do you, how does one like get right with God? How does that happen? And he said, well, first I got to like clean myself up, you know, like clean my life up, kind of get my stuff in order, uh, he used the analogy of like if I was meeting with the Pope, you know, I would like put on a suit, I'd get a haircut, brush my teeth real good, you know. Um, and I said, well, Gary, I totally understand that. That makes human sense. Um, but here's the deal, Gary. Like the, the idea that we can clean ourselves up or, or get right with God before coming to him is sort of like the idea that like a newborn baby can change their own diaper, Right, like it just doesn't have the capacity. It can't do it. That the, the beauty and the unbelievable beauty of God's forgiveness is that it's, hey, come as you are. <laughs> like Come right now. Hey, you don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to put on the show. You don't have to wear fancy clothes. Um, just come. And I think about Gary. And Gary right now would be 37 or 38. Um, and I think and I, I wonder, I'm like, hey, Has Gary ever, like, figured out that? Like, is Gary still trying to get right with God? You know, is Gary still trying to clean up his life, you know, clean it all up, put on his suit, get his hair cut? Or or has he accepted the fact that it's a simple forgiveness and that God is just one step away? You know, he's like, just come on. I'll do it. Just come on. And I wonder that for us today. Where, Where might we be with that decision? Let me pray. Um, God, thank you for today. I I thank you that you um, give us an amazing guide on forgiveness. Um, That I have seen the effects of unforgiveness in my life and I have seen the the fruit and health of forgiveness in my life. And, And help me to have the power to choose forgiveness. Help me to have the humility to say I'm sorry. To have the grace to say I forgive you. And I thank you for your beautiful and simple forgiveness that you offer to us. Thank you in your name. Amen. Well, hey, I wanted to thank you for being here today. Um, Just some quick closing words. Um, We would love anytime you want to talk, there's always um, somebody that can answer questions, maybe just put a name with a face in what we call the hearth room, which is like three doors down. So know that that's there. And also just want to thank you for just being graceful and loving in the midst of the craziness of COVID and the masks and just all of it, right? It is just a hot mess. And today, it's just been amazing that folks have come in with just grace and patience and understanding. Um, So just thank you for that. So I hope you all have a great week. Next week, we'll continue on with the most dangerous game.